I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And we're, we're starting a new series here tonight. And so what a great night to be in church on a Sunday night, a new series on worship uh, that we're titling Altars and Idols. And we live in a world that is confused about these things. And, and certainly we as God's people shouldn't be in the category of people that are confused about worship. Unfortunately, that oftentimes is the case. And so hopefully through this series, we can bring some clarity uh, to what worship is and what it should look like. And, and our hope is to go from Genesis to Revelation, not, not looking at every book of the Bible, not looking at all 66 books, but but making our way through systematically and, and learning what we can from, from the great watermarks in the Bible, the high marks of the Bible, as far as it goes and related to worship. And so tonight, as, uh, for an introduction, is, is what I hope tonight to serve as, as an introduction. Next week, we're going to look at worship in the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on worship in the Garden of Eden. Um, I've never heard one, so it'll be the first for me. I'll get to hear the, the first one I get to hear will be the one I preach. Uh, but that's where we're going to start next week as we examine worship uh, in the Garden before the fall. Uh, but this week, just as a way of introduction, I, I want to tonight answer, simply answer the question, what is worship? What is worship? If somebody asked you what worship was, what, what would you tell them? I think most of us would say, well, it's the, the singing before the preacher gets up. That's worship. And tonight I want to answer that question for us. And tonight I'm going to do the exact opposite of what I did this morning. This morning I laid a large foundation and that built, a, hopefully, the, the punchline built upon that foundation. Tonight, we're going straight to the punchline. Tonight, we're going straight to the answer, and then I'm going to support that with uh, some connecting thoughts. But I want to tonight just go right to uh, this text in Romans chapter 12 that I think gives us the most succinct in all the Bible, the most succinct answer to this question, what is worship? And then week after week, as we look through the whole Bible on Sunday nights, we're going to add another brick uh, to that foundation of worship week by week. And so as we turn to uh, Romans 12, uh, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank you for uh, the day in your house that we've already had. Lord, I thank you for the work in our lives that you've already done, even today, even tonight. Lord, as we come again to your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, there is nothing profound that I have to say tonight, but only your word, Lord, that is alive, that is active, that is true, that is sharper than a, a two-edged sword. Lord, that your word would, would pierce our hearts tonight and produce good fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So let's look at Romans chapter 1, and not 1, not 1, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to 
present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In these two verses, I believe Paul lays out for us the answer to this question, what is worship? But I want to draw your attention to the first verse where he says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, I've mentioned to you on this word, therefore, that when we see the word, therefore, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go and look and see what it is, therefore. And we're going to end tonight by, by coming back to Romans chapter 11 and, and examining what that word, therefore, is, therefore. Because it is the foundation upon which he gives this definition of worship. But here as he moves on to, to, as he makes this appeal in light of what he said up until this point in Romans, the appeal that he makes is to present ourselves and even our own bodies to the Lord and to, to surrender ourselves to God as a living sacrifice now, typically, as we see sacrifices made, the sacrifice costs them their life. But we're to live unto God, uh, living our lives in sacrifice unto the Lord. And he says to do this in a way that is holy. And we looked at that this morning, what it looks like to be uh, holy is unto the Lord, set apart as unto the Lord, sanctified by his word. To do this holy and acceptable to God. And then he says that when we do this, we are worshiping God. When we live our lives as unto the Lord, when we live our lives holy and set apart, this surrendering of our lives, this surrendering of ourselves, surrendering even our own bodies to the Lord, Paul says, that act is worship. That act is worship unto God. And then he clarifies it. He gives some some clarifying statements, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed. And, and to be transformed, we do that by having our minds renewed. So he, he contrasts this holy and acceptable living to God, which he calls spiritual worship. He contrasts that with this being conformed to the pattern of the living of the world around us. That if we're going to worship God, not be idolaters, what it requires is of, of us is to surrender our whole lives to him. That, Paul says, is worship. That act of surrender is worship. He goes on to say that we should discern the will of God. By testing, by study, by, by searching out what, what is God's will. Now, of course, we know where we find the will of God, don't we? we? We don't have to go out like Gideon and put a fleece out on the front lawn, right? We don't have to do that. 
because we have the written word of God. We have access to God's word. Gideon didn't, you know, he didn't have the printing press. He didn't have the Bible app on his phone. He didn't have podcasts and, and all of these ways to, to, to get the word of God. So Gideon had to go out with a fleece. We don't have to do that anymore. Amen? We have the word of God. So how do we discern the will of God? Well, we, we saturate our minds. We renew our minds with the word of God, which teaches us what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that as we live this way, surrendered to the word of God, doing what is good, doing what is acceptable, doing what is perfect, living holy lives to him, that we are worshiping God day by day, week by week, year by year. And what this means is that all of our life is to be lived unto the Lord as an act of worship. Every area of our life. From the moment we wake up to the moment that our eyes close and our heads hit the pillow. is to be lived as an act of worship, as an act of willful surrender unto God. This act of laying down our will to the Father's will, it is the purest form of worship. This is what we see Jesus himself do in the Garden of Gethsemane as he, he battles through the, the price he's going to have to pay. He battles through what the, the cross will cost. And he prays to the Father. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, where does he land up? Where does he end up? Not my will, but yours be done. He goes to the cross again as, a, as an act of surrender, pure, unadulterated worship. I want to show you something. If you'll flip back with me to Romans chapter 1, the beginning of Romans. We've looked at this uh, passage several times over the course of this summer. But I want to bring out something for you as, as regards to worship here. Starting in verse 18, it says God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So what, he, what here Paul says is that that everyone knows that there's a creator. Everyone understands that, that there is a God. God displays his, his creation. He, display, he, he, he proclaims his, his nature and his character, and he's put it on display even in creation. So that as the psalmist writes, the heavens declare the praises of God. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. And that 
Through unrighteousness, we suppress that truth in our hearts. We try to drown it out. But nevertheless, we all know God, the creator. But it says in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so notice here the first thing that happens is this exchange of, of truth. The truth can be known about God, the truth that we see on display in creation. We exchange that truth for the lie. The, the lie that we are autonomous from God, the lie that there's no creator, the lie that maybe there's a God, but if there is, I, can't, I could never know him. He's so far removed. This lie, there's this exchange of truth for lies. We see that, of course, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, believing the lie of Satan, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But then the next exchange that comes is this exchange of worshiping the Creator and instead directing their worship towards not the Creator, but the creation. That we as human beings, we are worshipers. And we are always worshiping. If, if all of life is to be lived as worship unto God, it means that all of life truly is worship. The, the issue is what direction is my worship being aimed at? Well, what's the direction of my worship? What am I worshiping? The issue is not will you worship. It's not a matter of if you will worship. It's a matter of who you will worship. What direction your worship will go. And so they exchange the glory of the immortal God for the images, the idols that resemble mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. You will either worship the creator or you will worship some part of the creation. It might not be physical idols. We don't see that a lot here in the United States of America. We don't see physical idols in Western culture so much because Western culture has been so profoundly shaped by a Christian worldview. You can travel to Eastern countries and I've seen people literally bow down and worship idols. Idolatry is not dead. There are still people who bow down and, and pray to physical idols and pray that that, that idol could hear them and, and answer their prayers. It's, it truly is one of the most heartbreaking things in the world. To see someone staring up into this satanic, demonic object, hoping, praying that that thing that cannot hear or see or speak could somehow act in their behalf. 
But in our culture, we have other idols, don't we? We might not see them set up so explicitly. They usually have names like Dallas Cowboys, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, We call pop stars idols. Don't we do that? Don't, Don't we have a TV show literally called American Idol? Isn't half the church at home tonight watching that show? God bless them. Uh, I don't even know. Is that show even on TV anymore? I don't even know. I don't even know. Uh, so, but, but we, we, we have these, these things that, that, that we devote so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our, our attention, so much of our life too. And if all of life is worship, whatever I am directing my life to, I am worshiping that thing. Now, we talked about during our summer series that the great idol in our culture is actually the self, self self-worship. That at the core of what we value most is ourselves. We devote the most time, energy, and and affections and point them at ourselves. and, And we ridiculously think that other people should do the same. Not only do we worship ourselves, but we are trying to get other people to worship us too. And so we, we put ourselves out on the pedestals, on the platforms, exalting ourselves. They're literally called platforms. Hoping that we can garner some praise, some love, some glory in the form of taps and pokes and likes and loves and reposts and retweets the worship of self worship is not dead where we worship 24 7 and it only can go in two directions either to the creator in willful submission to him or we will worship part of creation those are the only two categories those are the only two directions And creation worship here, Paul tells us clearly, creation worship is idolatry. Sin, sin is not the absence of worship. Sin is worship in the wrong direction. That's all sin is. Sin is just worship redirected to the wrong place when it should be directed towards God. There's only two directions There's only two places our heart's affections should be drawn. Really, only one direction our heart's direction should be drawn. Either to God, it should be drawn to God, or it will be drawn to part of his creation. And Paul says when we do that, when we let some part of creation become what we are enamored with, what our affections are drawn towards, what we are uh, um, enamored with, that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now you can know very clearly what excites someone, what, what their direction of their worship is aimed at. It's not hard to find out. You, you just talk with them long enough until they light up, till, till they get animated and excited and they start talking about this thing, and it's so wonderful, and they're just so enthused about it. I've heard an idol described as something you can't live without. Something you can't live 
without. And you're, I know you're sitting here thinking, well, I could live without this. Well, how come you don't? How come you don't? Well, I have it under control, and, you know, that you sound like someone at Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's like, it's not a big deal. I have it under control. I could, I could stop at any time. Really? Really? You know, so many, so, so often in, in, in our day and age, we're just so addicted to the, the dopamine, the dopamine hits we get on this. I don't know if you know what dopamine is. It's this chemical that's released in your brain when someone likes one of your posts and you just feel great. Oh, the world is right. Everything's wonderful. We're addicted to it. We're addicted to that chemical feeling, that high we get. Two directions, creator or creation. All of our thoughts, attention, and focus should be lived as unto the Lord. This is why Jesus said, what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. What, what that means is that the, the kingdom is the place where the king reigns. And so we should seek first the kingdom of God in every area of our life. To bring every single area of our life into willful submission to God and to his word. That doesn't mean that we, you know, when I say all of your thoughts and your attentions dire directed towards God, you say, well, man, I got to go grocery shopping. You got to go grocery shopping, but you should do it as unto the Lord. As a Christian, we should go grocery shop for the glory of God. We should seek first the kingdom of God at HEB. We should prepare our meals for the glory of God. Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. And so worship truly is making the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ, in every area of my life, my preoccupying thought. So, okay, I'm a Spurs fan. Well, how do I bring that under submission to the lordship of Christ? What does it look like for a Christian to be a Spurs fan? That means that my affections are not going to be getting out of control. Do you understand what I'm saying? It means that when, when the Spurs lose and then lose for the last five seasons like they have, I don't need to go and start therapy. Or I don't start self-medicating. I don't go, need to go join some online support group while all of us Spurs fans get together and tell each other it's really going to be okay this year. <laughs> that, that they're really going to do a good draft. And our, our idol's finally going to be on top again. You can be a Spurs fan. Just don't be an idolatrous Spurs fan. Do it as unto the Lord. Find a way to do it as unto the Lord. And I would submit to you that if you are doing things that you cannot figure out, how do I do this for the glory of God or as unto the Lord, then you should prayerfully consider, should this be a part of my life right now? If I cannot figure out how to do this in a directly, distinctly Christian way, serving God, I'm not seeking first his kingdom. I'm not worshiping God right now when all of life should be lived as willful submission unto God. Amen?
Flip over with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. A great worship text. Uh, Pastor Mark preached from this uh, two Sundays ago, Sunday morning, the first half. And then Pastor Mike preached the second half. And so if you were here on, on that Sunday... I pray that this is somewhat familiar for you, so I'm not going to dig all into the backstory of the Samaritans and everything that was going on there. Jesus meets with this woman. They meet on a mountain called Mount Gerizim. He enters in a conversation with her. Jesus is talking to her about spiritual things and she's receiving them uh, thinking he's talking about earthly things. When Jesus asks about her husband, she says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right to say you have no husband. However, you have had five husbands and the, the man you're with now is not your husband. When Jesus said that to her, in verse 19, she said to him, the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so she, she now is starting to awaken to the, the spiritual realities of the conversation that's been happening. And then here in verse 20, she says this, and this is where I want to zero in. She says this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. So between the Jews and the Samaritans, there had been this split. The Jews stayed in Jerusalem where the temple was, worshiping there on that mountain. The Samaritans set up, or really the, the whole northern kingdom, the, the, they set up worship, built a temple on Mount Gerizim when the kingdom split. And so she is saying, as the Samaritans, our fathers worshiped on this mountain here on Mount Gerizim, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place that we should worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Again, when he's speaking of God being spirit, he's saying God doesn't have a physical body. God, God doesn't have a natural body. God is spirit. God is supernatural. God is the creator. He's outside of the created universe. He's the original uncaused cause. He's the one that, that spoke creation and the, the natural world into existence. But God is not part of the natural world. God is spirit. And those who worship him, Jesus says, must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He says, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain all of us, this to us. Jesus says, I'm here. I just explained it to you. That this is the stuff that you're looking for. And so what does Jesus say? 
So, so she starts off with, look at what she starts off with. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She is compartmentalizing worship to a time and a place. She, she's saying, where do we worship? Do we worship in Jerusalem or do we worship here in Samaria? She, she has this view of worship that is just, we go to a place and we do a thing and that is worship. Jesus says to her, the time is coming and in fact is now here when you will not worship in a time and a place, but you will worship in spirit and in truth. Because the Father is spirit and he's seeking those to worship him in that way. Jesus says this, this compartmentalized view of worship belonging to a time and to a place is about to re be replaced with something else. Spirit and truth worship. And so the Spirit of God does not reside in a physical temple in a specific location. Remember when Solomon dedicated the temple to God where, where God's Spirit would come and dwell in Jerusalem? Do you remember the prayer that Solomon prayed? He said, Lord, I built you this house, but this house can't contain you. Your, your whole spirit exists everywhere. Your, your omnipresence everywhere. You're everywhere all the time. The whole universe isn't enough to contain you, God. But nevertheless, you've promised to meet with us here in this place. But Jesus is saying that this idea, this, this paradigm of having to go to a place to worship God, a set, of time, a, a set aside a, a time and place for worship, that's being replaced. Where now the, the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in some physical temple. Instead, the Spirit of God dwells in us. Resides in the Spirit, the, God's Holy Spirit. When we are born again, he takes up residence in even our physical bodies. So we are walking and talking temples of the living God. Everywhere we go, we carry with us the, the presence of God as the people of God, as, as we are the temples now of the Spirit of God. So we don't have to go to a specific place to worship God. In fact, Jesus says all of life, spirit and truth, are to be lived as unto the Lord. Because we are now the temple of God, filled with the spirit of God, it transforms all of life into worship. That's what happens at a temple, worship. You didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem and, and find the priests not worshiping. When you went to the temple and you saw the priests, all of their activity was done in service unto the Lord as worship unto God. Now we are those priests, that kingdom of priests, who reside in this physical body where the Spirit of God dwells, which transforms all of our life into worship. But for some reason, for some unexplicable reason, us new covenant believers fall back into 
the old paradigm, the old covenant way of thinking where we say worship is at a time and a place. Where worship is relegated to the the singing before the preaching. Let me submit to you that, that certainly that encompasses worship. Certainly singing is part of worship. But what you're doing right now is part of worship. When you get in your car to drive home, you are worshiping. The only question is, where is my worship heading right now? And if it's not aimed solely at the creator, if I'm not doing all for the glory of God and the glory of Christ, if I'm not seeking first his kingdom, seeking to bring the the lordship of Christ into every area of my life, that's an area where there's an idol. That's an area where something needs to be laid down, where something needs to be sanctified, something needs to be set apart, something needs to be surrendered, something needs to be sacrificed. All of these themes are things that we'll pick up as we move through the Bible looking at worship. We should not relegate worship to a specific time and a specific place. And and guess what this does? This, This thinking, this true thinking on worship, if we truly live this way... When we come in to sing songs of praise and worship to God, it elevates our worship. Why? Because I've been worshiping since I got up this morning. Since I've been in communion with God. Since I woke up, not just today, but yesterday on Saturday and the day before on Friday and the day before on Thursday. Every day, moment by moment, so that when Sunday rolls around, And the doors open and the band cranks up. Oh, I get to go sing praises to God with my brothers and sisters in Christ and commune with them and let the Spirit of God move in our lives. It transforms it. It elevates it. It lifts it to a higher level. But when I roll in on Sunday morning at 10... 30, or, or let's, let's say 10, 15, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, or say you get here on time at 10 o'clock, but you haven't thought about God since last Sunday at noon. How, how high is your worship going to go? Well, it's not, it's, it's, is it even going to hit the roof? You're going you're gonna to be having to deal with the whole week that you just lived. Under the conviction of God. As you try to worship God, the the Spirit's going to begin to move in your life and it's going to feel uncomfortable for you. So you might not even come. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here on Sunday night. All right. This is why I think we have a hard time pressing into our corporate times of worship because we haven't been worshiping God all week. And then we just, we show up and then we're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if I really start to engage with with the Holy Spirit, if I really start to engage with God in worship, I'm going to fall under conviction. And so I'll just kind of, you know. It's great, great song. Oh yeah, it's great. You know, just kind of keep everything down here. 
So if I keep everything down here, compare myself to everybody else, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. As we press into the holy of holies, we have that moment like Isaiah had, woe is me. Woe is me. Jesus says it is spirit and it is in truth. The spirit, that's, that's the very core of my being. That's the total essence of who I am. It's not just paying lip service to God. It's worshiping God from the depths of my soul. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah and he said this. He said, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen, you can sing the songs and not worship if your spirit is not engaged. The, the songs are an aid. The songs are a help. The, the songs are there to, to help you give expression to what the, the spirit inside of you is saying. But I, I, you can read the words, you can follow the bouncing ball, you can, you can do the Christian karaoke and be totally checked out of anything that God is doing and totally miss out on what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. But it doesn't start on Sunday morning. It starts when we leave. It, it, it doesn't ever stop, I should put it that way. It never stops. We need to wake up to the reality that we are always worshiping. We need to constantly be directing our thoughts, our attention, our focus to the Lord. There's the old saying that, and I, I do not like this saying, it says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of, a, of no earthly good. I've never met anybody like that. I don't know who that's about. What I've truly found is that it is those who are the most heavenly minded do the most good on earth. It's those who are most preoccupied with God and with his kingdom and with living for him and living for his glory that, that truly do the most good on the earth, that let their light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Worshiping God in spirit, the very core, the very essence of who we are, not just paying him lip service, but in our hearts worshiping him and worshiping him in truth, that our worship is governed by God's self-revelation, his self-attesting word. We bring ourselves in willful submission under the word and law of God. I cannot say I worship God if I don't pay attention to his word. How can I know how he wants to be worshipped? How can I even know what worship is? It must be in spirit and also in truth, sound doctrine. I was going to read Psalm 51. Well, whatever. Psalm 51. We'll just Psalm 51. We'll just read it and let it speak to us. Psalm 51 is a portrait of true worship. What does true worship look like? What does the heart of true worship look like? It's Psalm 51. The intro to the choir master. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. How'd you like to have all your dirty mail just blazoned for all eternity in God's word? Wow. 
David fell. The man after God's own heart allowed his, the direction of his worship to be taken off of living for the glory of God, placed on some other object. He fell into sin. Nathan the prophet goes to him and rebukes him. He thought he had gotten away with it. However, God sees everything. And when Nathan rebuked him, when he was rebuked by the word of God, this is what David said. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Going down to verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 15, he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Verse 16, he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or else I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. It's David, under the old covenant, has this incredible revelation of what true worship is. It's not about a time and a place. It is about spirit and in truth. A broken heart, a teachable heart, a contrite heart that searches out the word of God to discover the will of God and then brings every area of my life in the power of the spirit into willful submission to God, to his word. That is worship. I said we would finish with Romans chapter 11, so let's flip back there quickly. Romans chapter 11. Romans 12 is where Paul says, therefore, worship God. Therefore, live your life as worship unto the Lord. But what is that therefore, therefore? From Romans 1 to 11, Paul lays out the gospel in the most systematic and comprehensive way that he does anywhere else in all of Scripture. And, and truly, you can read Romans 1 through 11 as one continuous thought. It, 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 absolutely, is, uh, it is absolutely perfect as he unpacks the gospel and explains the gospel. And as he has expounded the gospel for 11 chapters... In verse 33, that, that gospel truth that's in his soul that he has just proclaimed, it, it wells up in him as a song of praise. In verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. After 11 chapters of reflecting on, teaching on, expounding upon the great gospel of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Paul erupts in this song of praise and says, how could we even give God anything? Everything belongs to him. From him and to him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the praise. So because everything belongs to him, what should we do? What can we give him? And then Paul says, therefore, submit your bodies, submit yourselves, submit your, who you are, body, soul, spirit, mind, will, emotions, everything you have as unto the Lord for his glory. And that, Paul says, is true spiritual worship. Willful surrender. We are always worshiping. We weren't just created to worship. We were born worshiping and all of our life is worship. Our lives are always headed in some direction. The focus of our existence is is headed towards a destination. May we direct our attention, our focus, our gaze on our king and living our lives in willful submission to him. And worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. I invite you to stand with me tonight. And let's just go before the Lord and close in prayer tonight. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I believe that You've brought even conviction uh, to my heart. So, Lord, I pray that you brought conviction on all of our hearts tonight. Lord, help us to see what is so clear that you call us to live in willful submission to you. Lord, as we heard this morning, we don't obey you out of just duty. We don't think that we earn your love by, by keeping your commandments like the elder brother. But Lord, we obey you out of our love for you. And we love you because you love us. You're our God. You're our creator. You're our savior. You're our Lord. You're our our king. You're our redeemer. You're our salvation. You're our, our only hope. Lord, you are everything. You truly are our everything. Lord, forgive us when we forget that. Lord, when we allow our attention to be diverted off of you and off of your kingdom, Lord, thank you that you're not some ogre, you're not some hard taskmaster, but Lord, the the picture you gave of yourself was that of a father with his eyes on the horizon so that even when we do fall and fail and, and wander astray, You are always ready 
to run and embrace us with your love and with your righteousness. Lord, help us to ever grow in our worship for you. Lord, help us to understand that our worship never ceases and that you are to be the sole object, the the aim, the, the bullseye of every area of our life. So help us to submit to you in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our career. But help us to submit to you in, in every area of our lives and to do so with joy in response to your love and to truly give you the worship that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.